Mark. Hello and welcome to Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Petey, your co- other co-host. Now, before Cece gets, tries to get away with this, this is the fourth <laughs> time we've started the recording. And we've the other three difficulties. were all on Cece's end. <laughs> okay. Two of them were my computer. One of them was just me. But <laughs> we're past that now. We've only lost maybe 30 minutes of recording time. Um, we should welcome Peter back from vacation. On the proper side school. of the state. Excuse me. Back welcome home. Welcome to vacation. In eastern Pennsylvania, where you belong. In Wawa country. Yes, the right country. And Sorry, is that too polarizing for podcasting? Yeah, that's, don't don't get all political. We're going to start getting one-star reviews from huge people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so yes, I am very happy to be back, and I'm very excited to be doing a classic this week. Ah, uh, yes, a wonderful classic that we're embarrassed to say neither of us had read before now. <laughs> I hadn't heard about it. Cece, tell us a little about that book. Okay, uh, listeners, we're doing Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke, as you no doubt saw from the episode title. Uh, This book basically tells the story of a crew of spacemen who, sort of at the last minute, were sent on an emergency mission to investigate an interstellar body that had entered our solar system and was heading for the sun, essentially. Initially, we thought it was artificial, or we thought it was natural, figured out it was artificial, therefore having been built by somebody and so these people are sort of working against the clock to try to investigate it before it gets too close to the sun and they have to bail out is that a fair assessment i would say it's fair i would think uh oh go ahead oh sorry if you haven't read it i would say read it now go read it and then get back to us because it's really terrific yeah and obviously Um, our episodes are full of spoilers, so <laughs> go, Peter. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess, like, spoilers? Okay, <laughs> We have so. never once given spoiler alerts. Yeah, no, every episode, though. Lear- every people e- have learned. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, it's, like, Pavlov's response to spoilers. Um, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't, don't try to connect that joke and make it to make sense. Yeah, okay, don't try to so, explain that one. I love the timing of us doing this uh, because of kind of, like, the last year, how we had the... Uh, the what we are, think was an interstellar object coming in uh, visiting our solar neighborhood. Right. Right. We had that. Uh, it was you know there's a lot of similarities, right? It was weird with radar. It uh, was a, shard, a a long shard almost like shape. <laughs> we uh, we're not really sure where it came from, and it's uh, I'm pretty sure it's gone now. Yeah. Um. So that was uh, that was pretty moving cool. Fast. <laughs> it, it's moving very fast, and we're pretty sure it wasn't made by someone. <laughs> I'm, but are we positive? <coughs> Maybe. What was that? Did you just sneeze? I did. Excuse me. <laughs> so violent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have dainty sneezes like you. <laughs> yeah, you know me and all my dainty sneezes and hiccups and yawns. Anyway, so yeah, so I think the timing is very interesting. Um, I think like there there were some cool similarities. The primary difference is being we don't have shit that can even go investigate it. Yeah, so. even if we had been able to identify that it was an artificial creation of a different race, even if we, we saw would not have a little green man, send anyone there. If we saw a little green man standing on the surface waving at us, we were like, "Well, shit." <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All we could do was ping them and hope that they heard our radio waves. And we'll catch you next time. Watch them. <laughs> going, man, that's weird, huh? Jerry, you hear that? 
take some pictures. <laughs> exactly. What a weird so, planet. It's so noisy. <laughs> it's true. We are noisy. We're so noisy. It's a bad neighborhood. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're making sure their tires aren't going to get jacked. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that is something I found cool. Now, Cece, what were your initial impressions of the book? I really love this book. I guess I was a little bit nervous because sometimes with older books, the, I guess, writing style can be a bit archaic, and so it's harder to get into. And honestly, I had none of those problems with this book. Like, it starts off being really kind of technologically interesting, like, talking about the world that it's set in and eventually it like starts trickling in the Rama mystery which is such a magnificent driving force throughout the entire book and one of the things that I love the most about it is that it's mostly left unsolved like you get decent guesses at a couple things about the Ramans but not much else than that what about you Peach? so I loved some of the uh, let's say hopeful Predictions about the future. Oh my god, I was going to talk about that. Go on. I think uh, it's incredibly optimistic, the idea that there's like a, basically a, think, Vulcan science directorate, um, <laughs> which is kind of basically what the whole idea is, that there's like a science council that drive a lot of the exploration space and all that. That there's I think a space force. <laughs> there's, there is any sort of organized space body from a united Earth is ridiculous to me. Yeah. Uh, that the politics we're worried about are interplanetary and not on a con inside of a continent i'm thinking about earth doesn't even have our continents united you know what are the odds to <laughs> get all of earth Little, not even the countries within the continents there are not yeah, even exactly. subcontinents that are <laughs> united our world is full of division so i think this is an awfully op uh you know, optimistic viewpoint but you know let's say for 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 argument's sake that it is like that. I think it's a very cool interpretation of what it would happen. I think it's very cool that they gave some background. They talked about how, you know, there was an ecological disaster when a, an asteroid struck Earth in, 2000, in like 2077, I think it said it was. Something like and, that. Um, you know, that formed the Space Guard, which is uh, extremely cliched, but perhaps not at this time uh, named for it, which gives <laughs> some, some sense of fun. But overall, I think this book definitely uh, held up to the kind of legend around it i mean like the decades of hype well we look at the awards right like um nebula award hugo award jupiter locus like these are all basically all of them (laughs) yeah i mean it's like all the notable science fiction awards along with number other you know slightly lesser known awards this book is uh to put it in a word acclaimed yes definitely um, and yeah, I was. it's funny that you mentioned the blinding optimism, because yes, I was definitely going to say that about vintage sci-fi, always kind of bumming me out, like, a little bit, <laughs> because it always had such, like, optimistic predictions for the near future, oftentimes, you know, within our lifetime. <laughs> the classic example of 2001 on Space Odyssey? Yes, exactly. Um, like, wow, that was, uh, that was an awfully bold prediction. <laughs> Oh, you really thought we could do that, huh? That's <laughs> got some disappointing news for you. <laughs> yeah, it's the proverbial flying car. Like bad yes. news, guys. We have nowhere close to that now. No, we pretty much suck, actually. Um, yeah, it, people. I don't know. People in like the second half of the twentieth century, even considering that like the Cold War was going on, and like we definitely did not have a united Earth by any measure of the imagination. 
I feel like they always have these just like lovely optimistic visions for the future. Like when does this book take place, Peter? You mentioned uh, it in one of our earlier recordings. <laughs> one of our other renditions. I think it was 2133. Let me check that. 2131. Oh, see, you were off two years. Thank you. 2131. <laughs> You're right. Screw me. <laughs> Screw you. 114 years in the future? 113 yeah. years in the future. Yeah. Sure. There's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. we're going to have colonized Mars, colonized Mercury, Venus on its way to colonization. You don't know, you know, no, I can stomach colonized Mars. Yeah, okay, yes. But not I, along with all that other shit. Yeah, with a Herculean effort, I could see a, a moderately industrialized Mars within 150 years. Like what a I cannot little see bit is, industrialized. What I cannot see is Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> I can see a mining settlement. I mean, it kind of sounds like that's basically what Mercury is in this book, though. Like, not no, a very big population. No, there's great domed cities. Like, no, Okay, yes, no. maybe you're yeah, not talking about different things. But I'm saying it seems like... It, it, I mean, Mercury is colonized for the mining, right? Like, Wait, but it's, like it also it's has an industry big, town. It has these big, amazing domed cities that are providing a, a huge population base. I mean, like, yeah, sure, it's a, it's a mining town, but, like... It's, it's, I think it's grown beyond, I think it started as a mining town and it grew beyond that in the book. Yeah, I think that's fair. People, I mean, it's like a prospector thing, right? People went out to seek their fortune and now they're Hermians, as I mean, think about it, it's, it's notable enough to have its own, like, seated government that it's a significant player in interplanetary politics. Yes, that is a fair point. Um, although, yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of the difference between colonization and terraforming, right? Like... I don't think they ever really specify what the habitat's like on Mars, but definitely on Mercury, it's like, it's not terraformed. It is strictly like a structured, <laughs> infrastructure-based environment, if that So that's one of the interesting things about a lot of the sci-fi I've been reading lately about kind of the, uh, the inner, the, the, the planet's kind of balance. Uh, one of the books that we are thinking about doing in the future, Le- Leviathan Wakes, uh, foundation of the popular TV series, The Expanse. <laughs> is uh is that Earth, despite all its faults and maybe its heavy-handed treatment of the colonies in that series, is that it's necessary. So in in this case, you know, let's assume Mars has some minor terraforming going on, uh, which I think is f- it's fair to say because I think as soon as there's a settlement and a real government on Mars, their first priority is terraforming. Yeah, um, I, I basi- think so on any planet, really. And, well, yeah, but like Mars, especially because that's realistic. Uh, right. We're not terraforming Venus, but Mars, there's a chance. Yeah, but we're probably not colonizing Venus, right? (laughs) I mean, sky cities. Yeah, but that that seems very speculative. Very far in the future. Mm, I mean, yeah. I mean, even in this book, they're like, we're kind of trying. Nobody's really sure if it's going to work or not. (laughs) I could see, but like, I could see settled like significant settlement, significant uh, population centers on Venus within three hundred years, assuming we don't kill ourselves. Yeah, but only if there's a good enough reason to be there. The good enough reason is extra space. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway. I mean, so actually on that note, one interesting thing about this world is that Earth apparently has a population limit of 1 billion, so there's like really strict um, control on reproduction there. And I thought that was so weird because the population of Earth at the time this was written was around 4 billion. (laughs) And I'm like, did you think that was too cramped? Because like, I don't feel cramped and we're at 8 now. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the fact that population growth is by its nature exponential. 
and uh, they just wanted to keep it keep keep the lid on. Besides, if you got this solar system worth of colonizing opportunity, yeah, I why guess. not? You know? Maybe maybe it's supposed to be like an incentive to get people off of Earth. But I just thought it was weird that they would be like, okay, no more than a billion guys. This There's is our cap. People in China alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. I can see China doing a significant uh, colonization effort if that ever became feasible. I think China would, for sure. I think China's like, like all right, thank bye. God. <laughs> oh, cool, cool space. Excellent. Would you uh, yeah. be cool? Hey, maybe they'll be the first ones to colonize. They got the greatest reason to. I think there's a decent to. chance. I think China is just out of the... They're making I, moves. I think when colonization happens in an interplanetary <laughs> scale, it's going to be... Probably America develops the technology, because um, we still, however slim, still have a technology edge. We've got Elon. Yeah. Well, we've got Elon Musk kind of just, like, running the shadow government. And NASA, I guess, but... And we've got Elon. And then, um, <laughs> China's gonna steal or, count, you know, or, like, kind of also develop the technology along the same lines. China's going to colonize another planet, and then Earth's gonna go... I mean, not Earth, uh, America's gonna go, Shit. <laughs> What happened when we were the best ones? And then out of sheer stubbornness, we'll also colonize. No, that's totally true. It's really going to be because somebody else is about to make a huge advance. We're going to be like, oh, no, not on my watch. America. You son of a bitch. Forever. <laughs> Stars and stripes forever. Yeah, yeah. Blasting the national anthem as they curdle into space. <laughs> With reckless abandon, and somehow it still works. With an eagle painted on the side of the ship. Like... <laughs> <laughs> the pioneering spirit. No, I think it'll be sheer stubbornness uh, of uh, on America's part, following someone else. I would not at all be surprised. Anyway, um, yeah, we're, how, we got to stuff about the population. We were talking controls. about the world, the, the state of the world. I think that's relevant. Okay, excellent, excellent. Um, <laughs> I like the uh, I like the idea that like the space guards kind of like because it doesn't seem like there's actually like a military space force. Yeah, it's sort of unclear what they are. Kind of, I is that like what the Merchant Marines are? Is that kind of what they're doing? No, I think that's like a comparable thing, though. I mean, yeah, the Merchant Marines are absolutely out there looking for stray icebergs to stop up and protect the land masses. Is that what they do? No, I honestly, have wait. Okay, so you're saying I'm an asshole? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, no, you're an ignorant. You're ignorant. Anyway, <laughs> okay. um, no Merchant. No, it's basically they. Um, <laughs> I was very surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> you can never be careful about these icebergs <laughs> coming into land. Um, Sh- shut up. <laughs> no, merchant CZ merchant marines. They like are the ones that go on merchant ships. They're just specially trained um, to make sure that you know the government's not make sure that the the ships going out flying American flags aren't pieces of shit. Hmm. Anyway, um, interesting. So yeah, so the well, no, so I, I like what they I really do- meant is that they have probably some sort of commercial role as well as they're sort of beholden to the government as well. Right, but, like, it seems like they're not too... It seems like they're beholden to all the governments. It seems like they're, like, probably based on Earth and based on Luna, but, like... Well, they're beholden to, like, the sort of um, system government, right? Exactly. They're, they're, they're beholden to the, the, the governments of Seoul. Right. Which I think is kind of cool, but it's, like... Seoul okay. as in our solar system, not as in the capital of South Korea? Yeah, obviously. No... <laughs> So, no, South Korea. <laughs> SOL. Um, oh, weird. A shit out of luck and also our solar system. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> so the... I like the idea. And the parallel I'm seeing is, weirdly enough, um, Game of Thrones. What were they called? The the, the Night Watch? The night, the night Guard? Yes. The Black Guard? 
Uh, the Night's Watch, you were right. The Night's Watch. That's the parallel, I say. <laughs> they're completely into. They're, they're pretty much independent of government. Of ruling bodies, and they're just like, we're just gonna stay out here and make sure no one hits you in the back, i.e. Meteor. I guess. Although, actually, I didn't really think that Norton and his crew were a part of Space Guard. I thought they were something else. I think they were probably the the Space Guard of Merchant Marines. I kind of thought Space Guard was just a, um, a surveillance thing. Surveillance and elimination. I, th- I think it ended up being, like, the driving organized force. What that probably happened was they were originally surveillance, then it became the driving organized force of of space and they probably do like you know commerce regulation and things like that yeah i guess honestly but probably, they talk about no. service and stuff it's just weird because it doesn't seem like anyone's at war but like but it, the, the only thing i'm thinking about is like they're talking about how norton distinguished himself during like landfall on venus because they were like trying to establish a base or something they're like military they're, you know they're up here they're the army engineers See, so you know what they are? They're the Coast Guard. Are they the Coast Guard? Are you still I messing with me? Guard. I feel like you're still messing with me. No, no, no. <laughs> I actually think they're the Coast Guard. I've decided that they're the Coast Guard. I guess, but why would we have a Coast Guard? We don't expect things like Rama to show up. Well, no, but we expect, like... Well, no, but the Coast Guard doesn't only do, like, that. I mean, they also do, like, you know, interdiction. Uh, but I'm saying, like, they're they're the Coast Guard and the Army Corps of Engineers rolled into one. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go with that because we should be done talking about this right now. We've discussed this for entirely too long and they've already turned us off. It's okay, as long as they download it. This is really boring. I don't know why I tried this podcast. (laughs) Just a couple people who don't know much about much. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. They were right. To be be fair, that's true about most podcasts. Yes, that's the medium, guys. Anyway. All right, so. um, Go on with what you're about to say. I'm thinking, let's talk about the structure of Rama. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about it. You did the research, right. right? I did do the research. All right, so Rama is uh, most akin to what is known in human terms <laughs> as an O'Neill cylinder. No, the Romans know it as that, too. I mean, <laughs> they actually stole it from us. There are a few universal truths. <laughs> <laughs> One is that that thing is called an O'Neill cylinder. Hey, math is universal, and so is physics, I guess. And so are terms. Go so on. So are terms. So is language, one could say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the idea is basically, um, at least in, in an O'Neill cylinder, then I guess I'll discuss, uh, we can bring up like why Rama is different. Uh, an O'Neill cylinder was proposed by, um, hey, surprise, surprise, a physicist named O'Neill. And basically the idea was for these massive... Uh, space stations that had a uh, five mile diameter and they're basically a big cylinder and they're about five miles in diameter and 20 miles long and they would be uh, concentric cylinders and they would counter rotate to provide centripetal gravity centripetally induced gravity on the interior of them and, you know, we can put dirt there and things like that uh, to, you know, make it like an environment. And they would uh, be kind of rotating to kind of offset their inertial uh, differences to mess with that and keep, you know, uh, under control. And then, now here's, here's the clever bit that I really enjoyed. <laughs> the, there are about half of the surface of the interior cylinder is made up of split of these strips of 
basically, I'm, I'm guessing, hugely reinforced glass or some other transparent material that is strong enough to withstand this. <laughs> and there's gigantic mirrors attached on hinges to the outside to reflect sunlight as is necessary. <laughs> that is so, so they awesome. Could, they could open and close to, to kind of simulate parts of the day. Uh, they could angle to reflect sunlight better, say if they, it was tilted for, for whatever reason. But there's a whole lot of um, different things they could do to make sure you know everything's staying light and getting enough sunlight. <laughs> the interior would only be pressurized to about, excuse me, to about half of Earth uh, Earth normal, and the uh, gravity would help that uh, properly settle. Oh, that makes sense. So it'd sort of almost be like a simulation of atmosphere where it's densest near the ground and less dense <laughs> as it goes up further from the ground. Exactly, exactly. It would be, it would be a lot like the atmosphere. Cool. Um, so that's kind of how it yeah, works. makes sense, because if you pressure it up to one atmosphere, then it would be kind of crappy when you start a spinning. Yeah, it'd be like real shitty. <laughs> the, I never uh, thought about that. That's cool. Yeah, so the I think they ended up saying, I forget where, what it was exactly, but I think it was, it had to spin... Four times? Four RPM, was, was it? Or a four-minute period? Or had, you know, four, had, wait, it had rotate four like... Four RPM would be ridiculous. That would be hilariously ridiculous. Um, no, <laughs> I think it was like 24 times in an hour it had to rotate. Okay. Okay, Which, so close um, to a four-minute period. Yeah, to provide a, a near-Earth normal gravity. It wouldn't be Earth normal, but it would be similar to. Right. So that that is the the technical uh, O'Neill cylinder. Yes. So how is that different, Cece? Uh, from the Rama cylinder? Yeah. Well, it it's not different in a lot of ways, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, Rama's totally enclosed because it's going through interstellar space, so you know there's no sunlight to be let in. <laughs> so um, it actually has artificial sun, basically that is essentially strip lighting along the distance of Rama set at um, three points along the inside of the cylinder. And Rama specifically has everything essentially in triplicate redundancy, which is a very, I guess, important feature of the Ramans and their culture, and it comes up a lot. And is a very key role in probably one of the best endings to a book I've read in a long time. <laughs> Yeah, I loved that ending. Because you were talking about earlier how you like that they didn't really totally answer all the questions that were asked or really at all. Right. Um, and the very cool thing is that it wasn't actually meant to be a series. It ended up being a series, I think, with six total books in, in the universe. Four in the direct series. Yes. But um, the other five were all written... Well, I think the three that were in the series, in addition to the original, were written as a collaboration. Yeah, it was kind of like he had input, but he didn't want to write it directly. <laughs> What's the collaborator's name? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know, but good thing we're not doing Rama 2, Garden of Rama or Rama Yeah, we're World. not, but the we're point is... Rendezvous with Rama. The point is, uh, it was a collaboration between some guy and Arthur C. Clarke, and then that guy went on to write two more after that. But I I sort of have mixed feelings about reading them because I feel like Rama is so good 
just by itself as like a self-containing like i'm really curious about the ramens but i kind of i'm worried that like solving the mystery will ruin the fun for me <laughs> i will read them only because i have an insatiable consumption i, I insatiably i consume books <laughs> like you consume air uh so you I need will something read them to read because they're already on my kindle <laughs> Will you let me know if they're worth reading? I'm sure they will. will be, and I probably will read them eventually. I'm just, like, nervous to start. No, I guess I totally if you that. If you guys have read them, you should let us know. Let Send us an email. Right, post on the website. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Anyway. Yes. Um, but, what I, but that's what I love about this ending so much, is that Arthur C. Clarke wasn't planning to re- for any more. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He still had to tease us, though. Now, what, what, was, the, what was the quote? Was, just that um, one of the men who was on the science council basically woke up in a cold sweat one night with the revelation that ramens do everything in threes. And this is after the original Rama has left the solar system. And, you know, the implication being that there should be two more ships coming. Yeah, that was very cool. That it was, was very a very cool, cool um, that way to kind of tie it all together. And add to that mystery that Arthur C. Clarke was kind of... At, by the end of the book, you're going, okay, so this was the goal, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, so you're like, just messing with us. Oh, you're oh, you're screwing with us. This is just one oh. giant tease. Oh, Good okay, to cool, know. cool, cool, <laughs> No, absolutely. But it adds to that, that, that you know, mysterious idea of the ramens that Arthur C. Clarke was going for so much. Like, the, yeah. they'll be back. Um, we should move on, though. I would say... Just sort of as a stray observation, this is definitely qualifies up there with the Babaverse for opportunities we die to get. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Even even Norton says that. Norton is the commander of the ship. I'm not sure if I clarified that. Um, but even Norton is like, <laughs> there are countless scientists throughout the system right now who would sell their souls to the devil in a second if it gave them the chance to be in my shoes. <laughs> Because the idea was that that ship was the only one that could get up to speed to land with Rama. And so it was just by chance that this crew was the one who did it because no one else could. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not even like a real scientist and I'd sell my soul to do it. Oh my god, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of just enthusiasts who would sell their souls to do it. They're programmers in the day, but they're steady followers in the night, you know? So here's um, here's a... Here's something about it, actually, that kind of, like, bounces off what we just talked about in the end there. What I really like is the idea of aliens who use different base systems than we do. Yes. Like, we basically use, like, five base math, right? Uh, like. Well, isn't it ten base math? I mean, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I think it's very cool that, like, the idea that how many digits you have. When you're, like, learning how to, you know, make a wheel, totally informs on that. Yes. Absolutely. Like, the, the idea that that was how you learned how to count, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, like, 10 is arbitrary, you know? It doesn't seem arbitrary to us because we're like, oh, no, that's, like, the first double-digit number, like, <laughs> but it's it's 100% arbitrary. Yeah, it could be anything. We could have picked 9 if we, like, if, every, if there was a genetic defect early on three. in humanity... Then, like, your right hand didn't have a pinky, then a nine would probably be our number base. I was reading another book where it was, um, the one of the species was like a basically an, an, an 
uh, octopus, basically. But it had ape-based math. Like, Yeah, that makes sense. It's very... Uh, it, it's an interesting thing to me because, like, that shows how even the earliest stages of development will inform on a species well into its future. And yeah. you can see that in ours. Well, so, just jumping ahead a little bit, during their investigations, they never meet a ramen, but they do find basically a ramen's outfit. And what they can ascertain from that is that the ramens themselves have this three-way symmetry going on instead of two-way symmetry like we have. And so it makes sense that, like, everything the ramens engineered was in three parts. The world that they built on this O'Neill cylinder was in three parts. The bioengineered organisms that show up later in the book, they all are tripods. Like, it, it's just a part of everything they do. And it's, a, it's such a good way to make something seem alien while, like, still being not too alien, you know what I mean? Because there's still, like, steps it. and ladders in, in Rama, you know? Like, there's all these sort of ways that humans can interface with it. Um, I mean... But another example of that is just when when uh, Norton first lands on Rama and he's trying to open an airlock and he starts rotating it, I guess counterclockwise would be loosening on Earth, right? And so we yeah. start trying to loosen it counterclockwise and it's not moving and he's like, oh, it's stuck. And then he's like, wait a second. And he turns it the other way and it turns. Because I do love that why scene. would Ramans have, loosen things counterclockwise? It's like the littlest detail, but that's sort of what makes... It interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the other thing: just by all following the airlocks, rules of three. There's three airlocks. Yeah, that too. Like thought... theoretically, there's no real reason to have the third airlock because one you close behind you, you know, it vents. You open the next one. Like, that's yeah. not really. But there's no real reason to have the third one, other than that's what the ramens do. Yeah, that's just how they do. They do threes. Yeah, I think it's very very cool. Yeah, the other one of the other things that I liked was when the sun first came on, the Raman sun, um, because basically as they got closer to the sun, the Earth, Earth sun, the Sol, um, Rama starts waking up. So like when they first get there, it's just like this cold metal cylinder. It's dark, which is it's fucking terrifying. It's completely dark. I guess it oh. wouldn't be if you were like used to space. But yeah, I guess. Knowing you're in an enclosed space that big that's completely dark would freak me out. Yeah, well, that's like Norton's. Norton made a point of being like, I'm more frightened, like being, you know, in zero G within this giant cylinder than I am, like, in space. It's <laughs> like, for some reason, I feel a greater need to be tethered while I'm enclosed in this than I would be if I was just, like, in the void. Yeah, which is so weird to me. It, yeah, it's it. It's such a like the idea, idea is just like, ooh, okay. Like I don't like the idea of like being in space in the first place. I mean, I'd go to space in a heartbeat, but like I wouldn't like want to do a spacewalk. <laughs> Wouldn't uh, you? I kind of would, but I, it would be terrifying. No, I would be too scared, honestly. Um, well, <laughs> don't tell NASA. Damn it! They'll listen <laughs> to the podcast. NASA, stop listening. <laughs> okay, now yeah, I'd definitely be too scared. Okay, NASA, you can keep listening. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, it would be terrifying. But yeah, that's like... I'm sorry. <laughs> we keep doing this tonight for some reason. Maybe it's because our fourth time recording. <laughs> I was just going to say, 
uh, that Rama starts waking up as they get closer to the sun. And so, like, while initially it's totally dark, you know, they start to learn more from the Ramans. By the way, Rama wakes up. So, you know, eventually the sun comes on and it's just in this one, like, blazing light. And he said that it was really blue. So he's like, oh, so the Ramans come from this kind of star, you know, a different kind of star from our sun. So it'll help them like narrow down where Rama is or where the original homeland of the Ramas is. Ramans is. Yeah. So it's just like yeah, the for, little details like that. that that are brought up. Yeah, that comes up. Also, they talk about how like the Ramans have like a different forms of technology. Like they're um, like they're little the, the bio robots, like the biotech. Yes. Like it, it was cool when those start showing up and they're like, what the hell are these? Yeah, they call them biots. Biots, that was it. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they eventually find out that like they are biological machines, right? Right. They have you know basically the biological equivalent of batteries, like an electric eels in them, and they run on them. And that was uh, that was really cool. And it kind of got me thinking that maybe Ramans were. I mean, a lot like Children of Time that we just did. Maybe Ramans were brought up on a biological technology. I mean, clearly they have both, right? Because Rama itself isn't biological. I don't know. I mean, Me? yeah, it's it's metal. Yeah, but they like, I guess they never take a sample. <laughs> no, I'm saying like may, maybe like yeah, they found out metal, but like. Oh, you're saying you think that they might depend more on biotechnology. Maybe the technology is bi because like well, humans it's like they have a lot of nature based design because they have like artificial lightning storms and like weather events and their their world as it wakes up more and more has like all these pseudo natural phenomena in it. Right, right. So it might be that they just, like, do a lot more mimicry in their engineering. Maybe that's true. But on the other hand, humans also have some levels of biotech. We're developing it more. It's possible, but, like, we didn't develop it first. We developed metallurgy and electricity first. Yes. It's possible that, like, they might have gone the other way. Um, Because if if we were going to build a robot, we would not build a biological robot. Right. Certainly not. In fact, we do build robots, and none of them are biological. <laughs> exactly. Not yet, anyway. I'm sure we will one of these days, but not yet. Right, but then we'll have to talk about, you know, the life question and the soul. Uh, anyway. <laughs> man, 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 bioethics. Semantics like that. So the... But what I'm thinking about is, like, the fact that um, they decided, oh, let's not build robots, let's build biotes. Yes. Um, if we were going... If humanity was going on an interstellar voyage... We just build super robust robots that we well, thought could last long enough. Yes. It, the, one of the most, I guess, revolutionary ideas about Rama is the idea that it's, it's sort of self-generating. Like, it takes in the energy from the sun. What Okay, what it appears to do, essentially, is it takes in the energy from the sun. It has this, like, organometallic soup that is the cylindrical sea. And... Between having those raw materials there and the energy of the sun, it's able to stimulate the generation of these biots who, like, all go about all sorts of different specialized tasks. And there's a whole zoo of them, and they all do different things. And, you know, I don't think even half of them's tasks are really figured out by the humans by the time they have to leave. But, like, Rama seems... It seems to be uninhabited by Ramans, and it, the implication, to me at least, I don't know if you saw it a different way, Peter, was that 
Rama will eventually generate ramens whenever it gets where it's going. <laughs> where that is, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, the weird idea to me is that, like, this... Yeah, all right, this has got to be an arc, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, it's got to be. Like, this has got to be, like, a... Rama was going undergoing, like, world-ending event, and they sent out arcs. Yes, I definitely agree. Because otherwise, like, there's no reason to send out these shit... Well, I guess there's a reason, but it's way more altruistic than I give anyone credit for. <laughs> to send out these ships to generate... To uh, I agree with you, they probably, in the end, eventually... Because it seems like there's a series of forced evolutions. And, yes, yes, exactly. That's a good way of putting it. And eventually, it'll force the evolution of ramens. Or perhaps there's some sort of cloning facilities to make sure they get it right. Whatever. Um, they're yeah, all... I mean, there's all those cities. They don't know what they contain, really. Eventually, they pop out ramens. Yes. So. Who, there's... I guess, would settle somewhere eventually? Right, but I'm saying like, there's no real reason to do this unless it's an arc ship. Right, because yes. like they're not. Because if I, if you told me that I could get on a ship, I would go into like some sort of stasis, and I'll get to go to another solar system. Yes. Sign me up. Yeah, it wouldn't be hard to convince me to do that. Yeah, it would basically be like my family get tickets. All right, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I. So like. That's. That's like that's like me, but like you couldn't say, "All right, you want to go, but like, you don't get to like be there. Like you'll die." Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's like generation ships. <clears throat> I'm like they're likely to be the first. What you're talking about. Generation ships are the idea of you build a, a basically a humongous, self-contained ecosystem with some sort of high efficient, high power drive, and you're like it'll take three hundred years to get there. But we'll but just after, build a society here for a while. But yeah, there will be this system has enough has the resources and has the efficiency to be able to cycle through and keep humanity alive through the generations. Yeah, so it's like uh, my great-grandchildren will walk on the planet that's our destination. Exactly, exactly. But I'll it's like assuming we before. don't we never develop stasis or cryogenics. Yes. Okay, yes. But it's not even like that because it's not even your descendants. It will be some sort of weird creation. I mean, theoretically the Romans could be in stasis pods somewhere in there. There's an idea thrown around at some point that um that these, like, sealed structures that are the quote-unquote buildings of the cities um, are, like, sealed to preserve things, you know? They have, like, something that they're containing, obviously. But to me, that sort of was almost a suggestion of maybe there's ramens in there, maybe these are, like, some sort of cryo chambers. But it's never really gone to in depth because, again, this book's all about mystery. They don't, they're not like, oh, this is what it is. They're like, I mean, that's possible. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it could just be that the biots are there to get it ready. But I agree with you that it seems more likely that the plant, that Rama would eventually just generate ramens. That seems to be the way it was going. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely think so. And, you know, maybe there are stasis pods, maybe there are not, um, but... At the end of the day, I feel like that level of that, yeah, okay. Well, no, we yeah, we won't I, know right now. Uh, maybe we'll know it, it when I go back and read the other books. Yeah, yeah. Check back in. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 get back to this. Yes. Now I had just had a thought. Okay, do you have a, do you have a next topic? Because I had a thought, but it's gone. Carry on. Oh, you, oh, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, do you have okay. One? Uh, well, one thing we can talk about is what was considered "quote unquote" woke in the seventies, which is hilarious. <laughs> All right, let's go. 
I don't know if you picked up on this, but it's like, oh yeah, women can serve on spaceships and they're like respected officers, but I'm also going to make comments about how their boobs move in zero G, making it a totally distracting workplace. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. So wing and a miss, Arthur C. Clarke. He tried. He tried. He tried. And it was the 70s, so it was probably like pretty progressive. Then he, talking about breasts was probably pretty progressive. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. No, I'm just saying coming out and saying it. <laughs> I mean, we're all thinking it, but saying it, that was bold. <laughs> the other one that stood out to me was that it seems like, so I feel like it's a pretty common idea in sci-fi that there's a lot more sort of racial intermixing like in the future, because I think there's more and more and it will continue to increase, right? Mm-hmm. So the product of this was characters such as Boris Rodrigo and Ravi McAndrews, like names that are like, first name is one ethnicity, last name is another ethnicity. Right. <laughs> like, I love that. That was the diversity. So I thought that was funny. I think it's very great. All right. Are, are we going to discuss, if we're discussing the characters in that in depth, are we going to discuss the elephant in the room? What, like the strange marital and sexual morality of the, of the time? No. Oh. I'm talking about space Mormons. Oh. Wait, we'll get to that. I want to talk about this one first. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> because it confused the hell out of me. So at first they're like, oh, Norton has a wife on Earth and a wife on Mars. And I was like, that dog. And then it, he was talking about how his wives get along really well together. And I'm like, so I guess polygamy? And then there was two officers on his ship who they, he said had a quote-unquote stable liaison, which I guess meant that they were in a gay relationship together. And they were also both married to the same woman. And I'm like, so cool. Women can have multiple spouses too. I guess that's chill. Can gays not get married yet? <laughs> or is that just these ones? I mean... <laughs> It's well, no, like so no, no, many no, no, weird no. half measures of progression. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. No, I, I, no, I'm on board with this one. Okay, here's what I'm saying. Okay. Say so, so, oh, so, okay, so like a Muslim man, right? Okay. Or, or I guess a Mormon man. If we're going to talk about space Mormons next, we do have to talk um, about space Mormons. All right. So, so what, you're a Mormon man, right? And so polygamy, cool, right? Yeah. Um, sure. But your wives aren't married to each other. Y- yes, correct. They're married. They're married to you. Yes. So are you saying that the two officers who were in a relationship and then also shared a wife on Earth couldn't be married because they were both married to the same woman? I am saying that, yes. Maybe you could only have one spouse per planet. (laughs) (laughs) Or major space station. (laughs) It's so confusing. I agree. It seems like a weird place to draw the line. Um also, I'd Norton s- does this whole thing where he writes these, like, generic letters to his wives, and then he, like, adds in personal messages at the end just to sort of save time. Um, and in one of them, he says, like, oh, tell Junior I'm sorry I couldn't bring him a baby buyout. And I'm like, did he name two kids on two separate planets after him? <laughs> does he have two Bill Juniors? <laughs> this motherfucker. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to go ahead and guess it's like, oh, Junior, like, you know... Like People will say that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. You're not kiddo. <laughs> I've got to believe that. Um, it was just very confusing. And does he just sort of... Okay. <laughs> Is, like, fidelity 
slash infidelity. I guess those ideas have changed because he talks about how he hooked up with his medical officer once and then they hook up at the end. And it's just like in celebration of the fact that one of his wives could get pregnant because she got a permit to have a kid. It's all like very strange. And considering not much of the book was spent on like the personal relationships, it was like just enough to be maddening where I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, you know, CC free love. Yeah, I mean, I guess. As long as his wife is cool with it. I mean, it sounds like both of his wives are cool with it. I guess they are. Maybe it might be a spaceman thing, because they're always traveling. CC, you want to be let, like, CC, like, just chill, all right? Be understanding and accepting <laughs> of, of Norton's weird habits. I'm sorry, I'm just such a prude. Yeah, I know. Why are you the worst? I just want uh, to understand, I, Peter. I, I get what you mean. I understand. I, but I, I understand your feelings. I have no idea what the fuck's going on. <laughs> it's not really worth speculating about it at a certain point, but no, I just have to say got, something about it. It got dropped once or twice, and I was like, that's weird. And it came up again, I was like, still weird. Huh. <laughs> and I just kind of like zoned out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Because like, they would go long stretches of time without talking about it, so you sort of forgot it was a thing, and then it would come back out. <laughs> Yeah, his two wives and his, like, random hookups would come yeah, up. Yeah, it seems like it's a real um, free love society, to be honest, because he was talking about the um, orbital orgies that happen when they get near dock. That's a lot of love for a society where only a billion people can live on Earth. <laughs> no, Peter, all the uh, space people are sterilized, remember? Oh, yeah. When they join the service? Okay, I actually kind of dig that idea. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. That's, like, very clever. Because, one, like, you don't know what the hell happens to your, like, DNA. <laughs> so, you know, like... And human experimentation is unethical, so... <laughs> I mean, like, you... No, that I'm saying that you could be producing, like, pretty... You, like, you could... You know, like, your children could have, like, you know, various disorders or such because you were exposed to a lot of radiation. So, like, the idea that you're like, all right, cool, I'll take these... These sperm and these eggs and keep them safe on a planet. Like, well well shielded and i can just kind of you know pop one out when i want that's yes. kind of cool to me i honestly didn't look into whether or not that makes any sense what do you mean it, it's it seems plausible and i don't think we've learned a lot about human reproduction since then but i just men are constantly making new sperm so it's not the sperm that are getting mutated i guess you're worried about the um gonads getting mutated i would say probably the gonads being mutated yeah but yeah sorry guys and like and look into it this is a weird conversation, though. I don't want to have this. Yes, Peter doesn't want to talk about it. Um, you want to talk about Space Mormons? I want to talk about Space Mormons. I love the Space Mormons. <laughs> They're pretty great. Now, They're what not, would they call... Space Mormons is not truly fair, because Mormons are evangelical. These guys are not. They're called the Cosmochristers, at least by people who aren't them. I'm sure they have a religion name. Right, like the Church of Latter-day Saints for the Mormons? Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, no, no, no. I say space Mormons because of their their mannerisms are basically just Mormons. Like, yeah, that's it's exactly like, oh, they're, like, just good, down-to-earth, hard-working people. Yeah, just, like, super chill, overly polite, like, very yes. competent. It's a Mormon. Yes, except that's not. true. Except not evangelical. That's except basically the main yeah. difference. Yeah, and everyone's I think polygamous, is like, so it's not a special thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you think you're so special anymore, Mormons? <laughs> The Maybe Mormons everyone's like, Mormons now. Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Space Mormons are just a special breed. But yeah, there's, oh there's Boris Rodrigo. The aforementioned Boris Rodrigo is a Space Mormon. And he's like a chill guy. Just sort of keeps himself to himself. Does a really good job with work. But he's like, you know, cares about what he cares about. 
It, I liked that it was a portrayal of like, hey, these people are really religious and like, I don't really buy into it, but they're just like good guys and gals and I'm happy to have them on my crew. You know, it's like such a, such a sort of non-confrontational way of dealing with religion in the no, future. It's like kind of how I deal with religion. Like, I okay, believe what yeah, you will. Exactly. Cool, 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 cool. Um, oh, you're an asshole about it. That just means you're an asshole. This not, doesn't mean Whether like you're, you're an a asshole about being religious or about being an atheist or about being agnostic or about anything. Or about like, being literally just an asshole. Just like, don't like, be oh, an asshole. It's nothing. Your your mannerism like that has nothing to do with your religion. It's just you're a dick. <laughs> That's it. You're not a shitty person because you're a Christian. You're a shitty person because you're a shitty person. You just use Christianity <laughs> as your excuse. Exactly. That's so. That's how I approach religion. And I like it's, the fact that I like the idea that maybe it's like that in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't even seem like it seems even better than that. I mean, this is a really ideologic outlook, right? Like, part of that is that you know religion's still around because it will always be a part of our of our species. Probably, it's been a part of our species since forever. I don't know why it wouldn't be until forever. And yeah, basically, it's like, hey, you're a cool, useful person. We're good. We got no problems here. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I, I just, I just, I really, I really like that. Yes, it's comforting. It's like chicken soup. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> so I, I do we have anything else specific we want to talk about the book? We're we're starting to get uh we're starting to get towards the end of our time here. Yes. Um. What no. did you want to bring? Do you have bring up anything? I think I've mostly talked about all of the book stuff. All right. I wanted to talk about how um. There is a pro a project called uh, 1992 or called a uh, space card founded in 1992. Mm, I was wondering if you were going to talk about that. Yeah, um, and it is about basically the same thing. It was named by nerds who read Rendezvous with Rama. I love Rama. when that happens. And um, I I do love when like fictional names pop up in real life. You're like, oh, it's like one of yeah, my top no, favorite we, things. I know what you're about. <laughs> it's one of the best things about being human. There's not a lot, but there's that. <laughs> so I, I just thought it was uh it was pretty uh it was it's pretty cool. Yeah, they had to on. um I guess basically Congress ordered a study and the results of that study ended with Congress mandating NASA to locate ninety percent of near earth asteroids greater than a kilometer within ten years. I don't know if they quite accomplished that, but I mean I think they're still still doing it. Like I think that's still a funded project to keep an eye on that stuff it is it so is, it's interesting cause... because it's like a fictional a fictional natural disaster inspired a fictional i guess essentially nasa program which in turn inspired an actual nasa program because we're also afraid of that particular natural disaster well when you think about it once you you know once you're doing things of that mass and going to the velocity of anything going in space, yeah, um, it could be stationary, and if Earth hit it on its trajectory, it would cause massive damage. That is very true. So you know, um, and it's, it's a present issue. Apparently, there was sort of renewed interest a couple years ago too, because a large asteroid hit Mars, which I don't remember happening, but I believe that it did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember it happening or not, but um, I guess people started being like, oh, I guess maybe that can't happen to real people. Because <laughs> up until that point, yeah. everyone was like, oh, that's so unlikely. I don't know. Worry about it. We're not going to waste resources on it. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's, you know, it's something to worry about. Uh, I actually, um, I have an app that I play around with sometimes, which will show you the, the feed, like the, the data of 
asteroids that we're tracking around the solar system. Okay. And it's actually pretty cool because it gives you an idea of like how much crap there is out there. Most of it's like almost all of it's like it'll burn up in our atmosphere if it ever comes close. Right. But you know, there's some there's some dangerous shit out there. <laughs> Watch out. I mean, a couple years ago there was a meteor that came within a couple kilometers or not, not a couple kilometers, a couple like thousand kilometers. Of Earth. This is a couple kilometers. That's all. That's not far. <laughs> that's within the atmosphere, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would be much worse. Uh, no, but within like a couple thousand kilometers of Earth, that would have smashed Earth into bits. So. Or at least Earth's ecology. We're good on that one. Thank God. But right now we're good we because Space Guard is if, out there. If it had happened, but we've got Space Guard in real life. See, see, we have so many. We have so many nukes. Are you sure we couldn't do anything about it? I don't know. We I, got so how easy many to get a nuke nuclear weapons into space. ICBMs already go into space. Just like a little bit, though. <laughs> they don't space go like, is, all the way into space, do they? Yeah, but they mostly escape through. Yeah, what do you mean all the way? They do enter like orbit, like low Earth orbit. Okay, I guess that's fair. <laughs> I see, and ICBMs will fuck your shit up, but they'll go really high to do it. Because <laughs> they're show-offs. <laughs> Goddamn Minutemen's always showing off. <laughs> we don't even use Minutemen's anymore, but it came up for my first. Anyway, so uh, that about wrap it up this week? Sure, you want to try our new little new segment? <laughs> uh, we basically already spoiled half of it, but... Um, it always it's a, it's a good application for vintage sci-fi. They called it essentially. Um, basically, want to talk about things that were prescient or predictive that were a part of the book. And we've already mentioned. Well, <laughs> Space Guard was, I guess, the very definition of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So <laughs> there's that. Um, <laughs> Cosmochristers basically remind me of Scientology because part of their theology is that Christ is going to come in a giant spaceship to take them away, to take the Chosen away. And, and I don't know a lot about Scientology, but I feel like that's basically what it is, minus the Christ and plus an alien. <laughs> so, like, there's this whole part where the, the Cosmochrister on the ship is like, I think this is our ship for our people. And, like, that's why he's, like, a major character is because he thinks that that, uh, that Rama is there to, like, take the Chosen away. Which proves to be not true, because Rama just kept on going on its merry way. Maybe the third one will. Yet You never know. You'll have to let us know again. <laughs> um, there's also a scene towards the end where they break into one of the buildings in one of the cities. And there's like all these kind of glass pillars um, that when you look in them, they have essentially what seems to be holograms of different Raman objects, which is obviously a gold mine for the sort of study of Ramans in general. But um, it, it, Peter and I were talking about, it kind of reminds us of like a 3D printing catalog. Like you'd go in there and like pick something out and then order it up. You know what I mean? Which is like, basically, we're practically there. Not quite, maybe, but almost. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only reason we're not there is because it's expensive. Like technologically, we're there. Yeah, I'm sure somewhere in some lab there's a printer doing it. Yeah. And I, he doesn't specifically say that that's what it is, but I'm still going to count it because that's what it seemed like. And Absolutely. a lot of this book is about what seems to be going on. Right, because we have because you know there's more questions than answers. Yes, exactly. A lot more. Exactly, which is why it's so great. 
Um, the last one I think is worth mentioning is bioengineering. It was sort of like maybe barely starting in the real world when this book was written. And while we're certainly not making large, you know, multicellular organisms for doing odd jobs around the house, we are engineering organisms all the time. I mean, hey, go to the grocery store and there's all sorts of things talking about how they're not modified organisms. Um, If you're a diabetic and take insulin, that's the result of genetic engineering. Like, this stuff is a huge part of our lives, way more than I think people generally know. So I'll I'll give him that one too. Good job, Arthur C. Clarke. Absolutely. Bioengineering (laughs) um, was really in its infancy when this came out. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it was more like a, you know, it was kind of viewed as like a fad by most people. Yeah. I mean, if it was even viewed by most people, you know? Yeah. I mean, if people that knew about it were like, oh, cool, you can make like a glowing bunny rabbit by injecting some sort of gene. That's yeah. fine, I guess. <laughs> but like, no point, except now, well, now it's, it's it's a major part of everything. Heck, I was even reading an article the other day about bacteria that eat, you know, pollution out of the air and they're thinking about the possibility of like pluming it or blooming it and like putting it into the atmosphere yeah and trying to eat away at our shitty pollution that's awesome that's really cool i feel like that's gonna backfire (laughs) but i feel like it's really cool anyway (laughs) i mean i don't know we're gonna die anyway yeah well at least let it be by our hand (laughs) more i guess more directly (laughs) rather than indirectly which it's sort of international (laughs) seppuku all right peter let's wrap up Alright, so, uh, Cece, you want to tell them what our next uh, book's going to be? Guys, this is a big deal for us. Oh, we're so excited. We are going to cover Red Rising by <coughs> Pierce Brown. <laughs> no, Red listen, Rising. hear us out. If you haven't read it yet because you think it's kind of like a wishy-washy teen drama, it's not that, okay? Oh my god, it's so not that. There, okay, it's- so there... It's there like, are some. Hey, there's nothing wrong with wishy-washy teen dramas. We all want to go there sometimes. However, there's a couple this is tropes. There are. Not there are some. Like, w- like three times in the entire trilogy right, are there right, moments we'll, where I was we'll, like, uh. "We'll talk offline." <laughs> yes. Uh, we <laughs> we'll we'll fight about this later. Not in front of the kids. <laughs> 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 um, yes, guys, Red Rising. It's Peter and I's one of our favorite books of all time. Possibly our favorite book of all time. Part of the reason we started this podcast, I don't think I'm overhyping it. <laughs> Hopefully not. Point is, we're really excited to cover it. Um, hey guys, Peter here. So I realize now in post-pro that we gave you a timeline that was a little unrealistic for Red Rising to come out. Quite frankly, uh, even though it's just the early days of summer, things are a little bit still a little bit crazy. And things are going to settle down very shortly. But uh, frankly, uh, we just weren't able to give red rising it's due diligence and get it out in uh, i really will end up being about four or five days uh from the time we decide we're gonna do it so um hope this is gonna be released on schedule with uh our previously announced schedule we're just gonna be missing one episode and um we'll be back on uh on schedule for red rising in two weeks so uh sorry about the delay that might have caused but um it's just you know what's necessary to give you guys the best product we can so that'll be Red Rising coming out on the 21st of May. So look for that and uh, in- enjoy the rest of the show. All right. It's about no, it, Peter. I, I, I will say this. If you're looking for what you want, how you want to listen to this, 
or how you, wanna, how you want to consume it, I would highly suggest the audiobook. The audiobook uh, is it's, amazing. It's very well done. It's the narrator's great, and there's a uh, there's the music plays a significant part of the story, and uh, there's some there's it's very well done in there. It gives you a much better idea of the 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 gravity of it than reading it because I've done both and I preferred the audiobook. Yeah, it really colors the world. Mm-hmm, so I think that's very worth looking into. Um, even if you guys aren't used to the medium, I'm sure you all have chores around the house to do and stuff like that. I would definitely recommend trying it. So Especially the accents. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, it, because it, it, it is like, super well done. Yes, yes. Sound is very relevant, and I think it really adds a dimension to the book, listening to it. So that's what we'd recommend. You get teach? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's it. Um, so, Cece, uh, I guess, uh, how can they find us? They can find us at signifyingnothingnetwork.com slash sci-fi sidebar or on facebook.com slash sci-fi sidebar. You can uh, email us at snn at signifyingnothingnetwork.com or sci-fi sidebar at signifyingnothingnetwork.com. You can also just go ahead and hop on our website, and uh, we have a form there that's not ever used because there's seven listeners to the network. Uh, but uh, get on ahead. there and fight about the Rama sequels. <laughs> Please just feel free to be two people that fight about the Rama sequels. I'll take one and I'll fight them. <laughs> Let's be in it, friends. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I also I, um, we would love it if you would review us on Apple Podcasts or on whatever like the medium name. you download the podcast from. Yeah, please, please do. Uh, okay, so this is actually time for real, because like, now that I'm like home, <laughs> I'm going to be restarting the universe in you. Definitely will. Uh, I, I'm, I'm probably going to be working, trying to have another episode out um, by, the end, by the weekend, or by the end of the weekend at the very least. And then I'm going to try to switch to alternating weeks with Sci-Fi Sidebar, so I'm not spending a significant amount of my time uh, locked in my room with my headphones in trying to edit audio. Every other week. <laughs> Every, well, yeah. So we will, uh, I'm going to try to parse that down. So anyway, I'm going to try to get back on that, um, and we might have you having some other stuff coming out this summer uh, that hopefully you find interesting, and at the very least, we'll think it's fun to do. Yes. It's a big Which part of our goodness. Half part <laughs> of, yeah. At this point, we don't have enough listeners to justify it, so uh, we're just having fun with it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Alright guys, thank uh, you so much oh, for oh, listening. Please please share us with your friends. We we're interesting-ish, I think. Oh, well, we certainly think so. <laughs> I get a kick out of me. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll be back with you uh, next week. That's right. This has been Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by idiots. All right, bye-bye. Bye.